another episode of Spellstorm Miniatures. My name is Jeremiah. My name is Hans. And uh, we are back for another fun conversation about what makes games fun and stuff. It's uh, part two of our three-part series and uh, exciting to be back with you. I'm excited just to be back. Uh, I've sort of been AWOL for a few months. I've been dealing with uh, some family things, and then um, including um, uh, at the same time that I've been dealing with some family things, uh, work has really uh, increased for me, and and there is just very little space for much else, and so I'm uh, feel like things are swinging back the other way for me. Um, case in point, we are recording a podcast episode. And so I'm excited to uh, to be having this conversation. So and I'm excited. I'm excited that you're on with me. So that makes, yeah. me, makes me happy. So glad to how be are things going glad you're back. for you? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. How are, how are things in your world? Things are things are good. Things are busy. Uh, you know, as they are for everyone. I have a little kid. But uh, I do find yeah. time to play games here and there and paint models here and there, so I can't complain too much. Very good. That's a nice segue. What kind of games have you been playing lately? I've been actually yesterday I played a game. I played uh, a couple games of Warcry down at Rune and Board, one of our local shops, and had a really interesting game. In case you don't know or the listeners don't know, one of the things you do with Warcry, so it's a skirmish game. And before the game starts, you split your warband into three separate groups because deployment happens in those three groups. So you, you randomly determine deployment and like one of your groups might come on in turn one and then the next on turn two and the next on turn three, or they might all come on in turn one. Um, it just kind of depends on what deployment you get. And then the, the, the card you flip tells you where you put your groups. So this particular game we had... Um, it had it so we had just one of our groups coming on in turn one and they were both kind of central in the board and the mission was to collect treasure and whoever had the most pieces of treasure at the end of the game won. So it ended up at the end of round one and we were both kind of in the center of the board and we both had two of the four pieces of treasure. And then round two, our other two warbands came on and they came on kind of kitty corner on the board, like pincering the enemy warband. So we each had one warband like hoarding treasure trying to survive and two other warbands trying to you know kill um that one's arriving warband so it was a very dynamic interesting board and i think that's one of the things that's cool about Warcry is mm. you get lots of um because it's so random you get some really dynamic situations going on um that are really fun so that was a good game i didn't realize how random Warcry was like even, yeah. even deployment and stuff huh yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think random is, it is random, but that is, it's all, that's also kind of a bad word. So I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but I, I guess it is random. You know, you flip a card and it tells you deployment, you flip a card and it tells you where to put the terrain, you flip a card and you get the victory condition. So yeah, it is random, but it does kind of all come together yeah. to create a unique experience. So yeah, I think I would like that. You know, you and I were talking last week on the Discord about open play in 40k and and then even in age of sigmar 
second edition, they had an open play deck. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's where they got stuff for Warcry, because with that deck, you you flip to determine the table, flip to you know determine deployment zone. I don't think it. I don't think there's a a flip for terrain though. I think mm -hmm. I think terrain you you set up like normal or whatever normal is. Yeah, because um, Warcry had like you know they come out with specific terrain boxes and like those yeah. terrain boxes come with cards for those pieces of terrain. So you can also just play the game by setting up terrain, you know, as you would with any other war game. But that's an yeah. option if you have that specific terrain. So nice. yeah, it does and seem yeah. like something Games Workshop has iterated on, which is cool. Yeah, and you got two games in yesterday. Yeah, because Warcry is really fast. I mean, uh, you know, you can definitely less than an hour, 30, 45 minutes. So, yeah. That's good. That's mm -hmm. really good. <laughs> That's a good selling point. <laughs> yeah, for me, for sure. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, you? I got him an interest game in last week. Uh, okay. Felt really good. And um, so I have this, um, my work schedule is kind of odd where, where I kind of have split days in the middle of the week or I can potentially have split days in the middle of the week because I have evening meetings and then, and then I obviously have, you know, stuff to do during the day, but I work for myself. And so I can, I can flex a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so last Wednesday I ducked out after lunch and uh, actually I don't think I took a lunch that day. I just kind of ducked out in the afternoon and went over to Rune and board and, and played uh, a game of war machine and uh afterwards put it all away and it just went back to work <laughs> so it was like i was like that's kind of cool that i like um you know being able to do that or whatever but yeah i put uh it was uh you know 75 points i put maddox on the table and a bunch of lightning stuff because that's what signar does and and i was facing off against kador and and uh, my opponent was running sorcia too and had a bunch of guns and so including the um the the heavy the heavy weapons attachments and they had two two units of those and so um so in my game uh you know there's war machine it's, it's a challenging game and, and if you're not like if you if you're out of practice it's obvious you know mm -hmm. and i didn't exactly know what to do but i had two units of of horses and so I actually flanked really hard on both sides of the board with the horses mm -hmm. to engage the units with the uh, uh, with the with the heavy weapons, and then in the middle I had my main infantry unit and my and I brought a colossal jack, and so and I just kind of pushed up the middle with them, and it was it was fun, you know, we uh, each round we were re removing models and, but. None of us scored any CP and or control points, mm -hmm. and then and then I actually ended up losing on clock, um, just because you know you were just out of practice. Yeah, yeah. How so, was that? Like you know, getting back into. I mean, how, it's been a while since you played War Machine, right? Like it, it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, um, how was it? Uh, it felt weird at first. Um, you know, kind of just forgetting a couple things, like just, you know, kind of the order of operations at the beginning of your turn mm -hmm. and, you know, empowering up and night. And I only had one Jack and, and I think every turn I forgot to allocate, you know. Yeah, stuff like and, that. Yeah. yeah, which if I had more Jacks, it would have been a bigger issue, I think. And then also target prioritization, pri, uh, pri target priority, 
um, like I know Kador because I played Kador for for a while, and but I didn't I didn't know the strength of my guns, and so when I took out, so they also brought a a colossal, and and I took it out, but I um, but I used a lot of resources for it, and so you know, and I and I didn't have to, so you know. But I just, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you forget, you know, how much you know, how much damage you can do or not do and how much life your opponent has. So, but it was fun. It was a lot yeah. of fun. So, any other games for you? I recently played in a short campaign, like five or six games of uh, a, a role-playing game called The Pool, which is mm -hmm. a little short, free game released in like 2001. Um doesn't have any it's generic but it's kind of got uh it's got some cool features like the a character is just a little 50 word story you write that, that's your character and then you have a pool of dice and you underline traits from the little story you wrote and you assign some dice to those traits and then when you get into a conflict you roll dice uh you, you pick some dice from your pool and then you pick one of your traits and you add that die to it and you roll those dice these are all d6s and if you get any ones, that's a success. And if you fail, any pool dice you gambled, you lose. So it's kind of, there's a little risk reward kind of mechanic going on with the conflict resolution, but it's a really powerful little system that kind of does um, drama well. So we played like a historical, kind of a historical Western set in San Diego before the Mexican-American War. Uh, and I played this guy trying to run from his his evil past and become a priest and it, it didn't work out for him, <laughs> but, oh, but it was, <laughs> but it was a really, it was a really good game and I had a really good time. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing for me. Um, I'm now in a new RPG group. And oh, yeah. So, yeah. We had our first meeting a week ago and there's a couple of guys that I know for, um, from a long time. And one of them who was in my previous RPG group, and then there's a fourth guy who I just met for the first time, and he's a coworker of, of the DM. And it and we got together, and um, it, we we did one of those. So everyone has like a million games to choose from, right? Mm -hmm. And and the DM had uh, kickstarted a bunch of RPGs and RPG settings and stuff. And so when we were emailing back and forth in preparation for our first meeting. You know, people were throwing out different ideas of potentially what we could play, and and what was interesting is there was a lot of interest for Mech Warrior, or uh -huh. and I guess the newest edition I think is called the Time for War, but but that whole by that line, right? Yeah, the BattleTech role-playing game. Right? Yeah, BattleTech. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, but but there was you know so we had all these like options, and when we got there, the DM had them all, you know, piled on the stacked on the table and kind of went through them and. And, you know, and people were like kind of afraid to say what they were interested in, you mm -hmm. know, in doing mm -hmm. not really afraid, but we're kind of feeling each other out because right didn't want to commit too hard. Yeah, it's a new iteration of a group. And I just kind of make this comment and I just said, like, you know, you know, I came fully prepared to talk about all these things and then settle on 5e. And I was kind of joking. And as soon as I said that, they all busted out their players handbooks. Like they all brought them, like and it was just like, there it is. <laughs> so, 
with all the options that we had to choose from, we still chose Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. And um, and I guess it's fine. I mean, if you're, you know, it's familiar. It's the first time this version of this group is getting together, mm-hmm. and so I, I can see, um, you know, I can you know I can see us getting to know each other over this game, and then. You know, and then maybe when the story arc is finished, then branching out and trying something else, mm-hmm. uh, which is what my last group did. We alternated games and we alternated DMs too. And so the DM would choose the game. So we got to play a lot of different stuff. So, yeah. well, do you guys, when you set up that game, do you talk about like, oh, here's how long we want to play for? Or, you know, we might play to yeah. this level and then decide if we want to keep going or how do you do that? So we didn't talk about um necessarily how far into the story we wanted to get um we talked a lot about just our availabilities and our expectations for you know for the meeting times and so um so we're going to settle on probably a monthly meeting that's going to be a little bit longer Mm -hmm. um versus several short meetings you know Mm -hmm. and and i think and i think that works for most of us with our various obligations Mm-hmm. And um, so, so those are the kinds of conversations that we had, and in terms of kind of setting up expectations. But we didn't talk about how long we wanted to be in the story, mm-hmm. and and we'll see. I think we'll, that might be something we play by ear. Sure. Um, there, we are going to go through one of the campaigns that was an option that the DM had kickstarted. Mm-hmm. It's a underdark drow kind of setting. Okay. And so there might be natural breakpoints in there. I'm not familiar with the setting, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, but, you can discover it. Yeah. I am doing something I've never done. I'm going to be a drow, and I'm going to be a drow paladin. Okay. So, yeah, I just figured I'll just, you know, just be really weird, I guess. Yeah. And I'm not going to be like the tank paladin with a shield and. You know, one arm weapon. I'm going to be the the two handed weapon paladin, and all my weapons have reach. Nice. I didn't even know that existed. I just think of the yeah. paladin. Like, yeah, you're in heavy armor, and there you go. I, well, the thing is, is I'm not strong enough to have heavy armor, mm-hmm. and so I can't. So I'm going to do everything from a distance if I can. <laughs> the lithe elfy paladin. That's right. <laughs> anyway, I've got a. That's sort of, that's sort of the build that's that's been sort of created, and then I'll, I'll write a fun story to go with it. So, awesome. but when I make characters, like if ever there's an option to randomize, I'm gonna randomize, mm-hmm. you know, and and so that's that's sort of how I kind of got there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Surprising yourself is always fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what. That's why I love some of the like like Dungeon Call Classics. I love. You know, a lot of randomization there, and and Saturday was DCC day, so I we we were randomly finding ourselves at Rainy Day Games, and they had a display for Dungeon Crawl Classics, and they were giving out you know free modules and free swag uh, associated with the game, and of course, you know, trying to sell stuff too. But sure, um, you know, and so I I picked up uh, this year's free module, so. Sweet. Yeah, that's a good game for wacky kind of um, old school play. I played in a campaign of that a few years ago. Super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get to um, continue our conversation. 
and and when we when we got together the last time to record our, our conversation um what, what was our i can't remember i think we talked about what games are is that right <laughs> are yep what games are and so today we're kind of going to go forward a little bit and we're going to be talking about what games are teach us teach and us. what games aren't yeah and yeah. what games aren't yeah so uh i feel like it's a big chunk of stuff to talk about mm -hmm. and and for the for our listeners um who didn't listen to the previous episode and i don't think you have to listen to that one i think it would be great if you wanted to get more of the conversation but there's a fantastic little book uh written by raf coster and and it's called a theory of fun for game design and i uh love this book so much that i there were several years in a row where i read it every year in a, uh, every year um just because i'm a big gamer and and I, and I really like hanging out with other gamers and i love talking about games and game design and what makes the game fun or not fun and that sort of thing and and raf coster uh is a is a great writer and he's pretty clever and so he comes at it from you know from a lot of different angles and uh and sort of gives language to talking about games mm -hmm. that's one of the things i appreciate so so this is part two of that conversation and and i have no idea exactly where we're going to go but i'm excited to go there with you yeah me too I, I think one of the things about this book is that you know the chapters are called things like what games teach us and what games aren't and they that sounds very definitive yeah. but in reading it it's he really just brings up a lot of questions and a lot of kind of topics it's not like you know this is word of god it's it's more um just opening up the concepts so yeah and what's interesting is he also gives a lot of examples of games um i find that a lot of the examples tend to be older cultural reference games um that if you've been around for a while you know you've heard of this game or whatever maybe you've even played it but um uh but mostly because a lot of the older like first generation games that were coming out were were truly quite simple and and so he can so he can use them as an example to explain what it is that he's talking about and then he can also point to how it developed into more modern games um so I, th I think he's he's really thought through the different layers so um a lot of the examples i think tend to be also video game related which i think is where he has the greatest background in yeah he worked in the video game industry or works or you know, yeah a and, lot of and that's okay. but, but not exclusively yeah. right right so but yeah um i kind of felt like there was um there was a consistent thread through both of these chapters and and he almost contradicts himself but doesn't but he basically talks about games on sort of two levels and that's the um oh what is the word i want to the dressing like mm -hmm. what the game is dressed in sure sure the, the set dressing the fiction the kind of yeah, yeah the fluff or the yeah, yeah all that stuff and then and then um and then he uses different words to describe the game like uh, uh one time he calls them uh, um he calls them um oh, what does he call them he calls them uh like mathematical patterns at one point um he calls them uh the lessons that we're trying to learn like 
what they're trying to teach us. So he's he's talking about the games on two different levels, mm-hmm. and and I thought it'd be fun if if you and I would interact on that a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna throw some throw something out there to get us get us rolling? Well, one of the things he talks about, I think, in an earlier chapter, he calls games abstract formal systems. That's his like yes, one of his very technical definitions of it. Yeah. Then you're saying like yeah, there's this like what in tabletop hobby people often call like the fluff versus the crunch, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. or the theme, you know, in board game world theme gets talked about a lot, whether the theme is just tacked on or whether the theme is sort of intricately woven into the the gameplay. These are kind of dichotomies we talk about sometimes. Yeah. Whether they're actually dichotomies or whether they're one thing I, I think can be debated. Yeah. Um, but he does talk about games as models of reality we used to learn from. And I think that's where some of that theme comes from, right? The, the, there's the underlying pattern of what a game does and we play and recognize the patterns and part of having fun is learning those patterns and, and then manipulating them towards the ends of winning the game or playing the game well. Um, but then the, the kind of fiction or fluff or whatever is, is, helps us connect that to a model of reality. Right, like like stories are something that teach us about reality. Right, they're one model of of reality. We get to live in someone else's brain and experience things. And, and games are just another another model of reality we used to learn from. Is something that he says. Yeah, one of the things that he talks about things that games can teach us. You know, he gives a couple examples. You know, um, they teach us uh, spatial uh, realities. You know, does does this fit together? sort of mm-hmm. stuff. That's an example of things that games teach us. Um, some games uh, teach us, you know, to explore, um, you know, to, to dig around and try to discover more. Um, sometimes sometimes games teach us to aim precisely, um, you know, and he gives us like all these different examples of, of what games teach us and how, you know, those can be used in, in like real world. Uh, you know, experiences like um, when I was think when I when I made the when I was reading about um, the exploration lesson, mm-hmm. uh, I was reminded of. Um, so I used to you know work in schools and and I loved the the field trips that we would take sometimes and we would take kids you know to you know to different things and you know to have them try to experience something outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I experienced something like that when I went to Israel this year. And um, there was a there's a lot of archaeology that goes all along in Israel. And so they had this they had this site where you could uh, where you could sift through um, stuff and you can try to find different artifacts, you know, like pottery or glass or ancient glass or ancient pottery oh, wow. and, you know, and like and different things like that. And 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 that site is set up for kids to like take you know schools to take field trips there and things like that, and and when you're when you're when you learn how to explore, you can do things like that more mm-hmm. readily, you know. And you know that's a silly real real world example because I just used a, a learning module to describe learning, but there's probably other things too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the things he talks about, too, is that, you know, he goes through these, what you're saying, like, there, there's some some things that games teach us that that model 
that teach us things that are relevant to our lives, like how to explore, right? Like games are a safe place where we can learn how to explore and risk things, right? Like, oh, I might lose this, but it's just a game. Um, right. And that kind of teaches you in real life, maybe how to assess risk and, and know when to, to go out on a limb and when not to. Um, but he kind of also talks about how games, a lot of games teach us things that maybe we don't need anymore, right? That Like, like uh, just things that we've, we've uh gone past right like how to jump over i don't know in, in a mario game or something like how to jump over uh how to precisely i'm not wording this correctly but you mentioned the thing about aiming right in like a shooter game yeah. like how to precisely move a cursor or something it's not like super relevant to our lives um but it is a skill that a game might teach us and so one of the things he does is he's kind of like it seems like he's calling for games to teach us things that are more relevant or teach us more important things it's kind of like a challenge i guess to, to game designers, um, which I found very interesting. That's a really good call. Um, and that actually made me think of a quote that he said that I wrote down. Um, oh, yeah, he said this. He said, since games are generally about power, control, and other primitive things, he uses the word primitive <laughs> um you know uh he says uh this was his and this was him this was when he was talking about games and stories and uh -huh. he, and he was making the comment that story that games are not stories um and but he said that stories tend to be as well and uh um and and so his critique for that to follow up with what you just said mm -hmm. is not only can games teach us things that that we really need in the real world, so can the dressing that goes along with the game. They can be more meaningful and more impactful. Like like when we watch, you know, a movie um, that where the story just isn't all that compelling, you know, or it's like, or it's like you can just you can you can guess what every character's motive is and what they're gonna do. You know, there's there's not a lot of like it doesn't keep our attention, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so he's calling for our games that keep our attention. And then the dressing as well. And and I, I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He says yeah. sorry, right. I found it. He said when stories and games are good, you can come back to them repeatedly and keep learning something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and they have that depth um, yeah. of 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 engagement. Um, yeah. One of the things he talks a lot about is patterns, how games are you know, there were pattern seeking beings and that games sort of reward that. And that's one of the things that engages us about them is, is learning. The fun of learning patterns is sort of the fun of uh, um, something we need to survive. I think we talked about that a little bit in the last episode that we, we play to learn because we have to learn to survive. And so um, finding those patterns is what kind of triggers that fun in our brain and, you know, having patterns that continually engage us uh, and let us explore the possibility space of a game, um, like yeah. you were saying, is something that keeps us continually engaged, right? Like these big games, like, uh, you know, you, you're talking about you playing War Machine and how you're a little rusty, but part of that being rusty in a game like that is because there's so much possibility space that when you're in it, you're kind of swimming in it and you have to, you know, maybe learn how to swim a little bit again when you haven't played it in a while, but, but there's yeah. so many kind of patterns to discover and nooks to explore that it's a big it's a big pool 
Well, and I wanted to compare just our experiences between, you know, War Machine and Warcry that we talked about earlier in the games we played. So in War Machine, one of the things that you do to get better is you practice deployment over and over again. Mm -hmm. And you start to see the, uh, the pattern of where pieces need to go and in what order so that you can activate them appropriately to, you know, to get the max amount of benefit out of them, right? Mm -hmm. And and so with repeated deployment practice, you get better and better. Mm -hmm. Where and think about how different that is with Warcry, where mm -hmm. deployment is more randomized. Yeah. And so and so the patterns that you look for in Warcry are actually different. And mm -hmm. you know, and each game is going to be different. It's going to take several games um, over over a period of time for you to to begin to see. Aha! Uh -huh. If I do if I do this with this unit, that's going to get me the thing that I want, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, well, it's like learning a language, really. You know, from from one perspective, like you have to be conversant with. I mean, you were talking about knowing how much damage your your things can do versus the opponent. You know, that's like a yeah. you know, like once you know those pieces, it's like you can make the moves that you want to make, but you have to learn the language to be able to speak it, so to speak. You know, like in Warcraft, I've played like six games probably, which isn't a huge amount and I feel like I'm still learning. I, I'm starting to learn like, oh yeah, you know, small dudes can be taken out in one hit with a solid hit. Um, you know, yeah, this, this is how many hits it might take to take out a bigger dude or like, this is kind of how, you know, you might want to split the war bands or something, but it's all very, it's still very incipient in my mind because I'm still learning, learning that language or learning the patterns of the game, um, which is, uh, yeah, and that beginning phase of exploration is always really exciting, and I think that's something you you hope a game will always have, or at least a deep game is like something to keep you in that phase of like I'm still learning, I still have things to do, because when yeah. you're on the other end of that of like, well, there's nothing new, you stop playing, right? Yeah, which right, when you when you talk about miniature games, that's why game companies either like change editions or introduce new you new unit types. You know, because like, like right now, um, I'm running into a closed circuit or a closed pattern with my Skaven because I run exclusively clan session, which and, and if you look at the, there's only five war scrolls. They're they're gutter runners, night runners, death master, vermin lord deceiver, and then that new unit that come in the the warhammer underworlds box the nether maze box okay yeah and and that's it and you yeah. can get 2000 points out of that but and and i have i think 2000 points now of that but there's not a lot of variety on the board they basically yeah. they basically are going to do two things and if my opponent can stop any one of those things or knows that it's coming then it's going to be a very boring game for me right yeah yeah and, and so and so that, and I mostly did that in the second edition because of the whole battle line issue. And, and it could have been my misunderstanding of what that meant. But um, the new third edition Skaven Battle Tome has opened it up now. And now you can, you know, do different things. So now I'm looking at adding Storm Fiends, which are not Clan's Eshin, but they will get, they will, you know, make it better for me to maybe, maybe compete on the table a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah, and and have more things to explore. You know? Yeah, exactly, and that goes back to that exploration thing, yeah. and so, 
and you know in the real world application for that is a lot mm -hmm. you know um, yeah. as someone who likes to cook you know whenever i try a new spice out or try a new method i'm get all excited i'm like oh you know yeah, yeah. what's gonna happen yeah i mean that's part of it that excitement of i don't know what's gonna happen i think you know i'm trying something and i'm hoping it's gonna succeed but i don't know what's gonna happen if you always know what's gonna happen then that's not i mean that's not a game right yeah 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 so and i think and i think our listeners would agree um games teach us a lot of things mm -hmm. and and raf coster does a good job of digging into that and stuff and that's not the hard sell, right? That's not the controversial part sure. of, of what we read. You mm -hmm. know, um, the the more challenging part is was what games aren't, mm -hmm. and that's where I think he he dives a little bit more into um, the dressing and and the and the patterns. You mm -hmm. know, in fact, he opens up and he uh, talks about games. And he talks about the fiction around the games. The first example he uses is checkers. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're just moving these things along the board. And a lot of times you can force your opponent into a move. But then somehow when you get your, your little token on the other side of the board, you say king me. Like, mm -hmm. what is that? That's the fiction that's applied to the game, right? That's yeah. the dressing. And, and so he calls he calls uh, the the fiction around games like word problems and math. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting metaphor. I like that. That was, uh, I mean, it was kind of like reductive in a like. I think he's right, but it was also like, huh? I guess you could look at games as just word problems. That seems kind of boring, <laughs> but but it's a, but it's a good it's a good metaphor. I mean, it's just a metaphor. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he does two things simultaneously. He says that we you know, game designers are going to dress up their game systems with some kind of fiction because that's going to appeal to us on some level. But then as a gamer, he also says we see straight through the fiction to the game. Like we understand that we're just moving a piece on, you know, on this board or whatever. Right, and, right. You know, so there's, that's interesting too. I, I think know. it's, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I, that just struck a thought in my head that, yeah, there's two different kind of, you come at it from two different angles. I feel like, there's you know the fiction like in checkers or whatever uh you know that you're playing an abstract game and i feel like the fiction kind of you can't help but see you know some sort of fiction i think that's that pattern seeking thing he was talking about like we're playing an abstract game like go or chess or something you know some ancient game and like the fiction sort of and i'm just kind of hypothesizing here but we see the patterns of, uh, we see these systems interact and we're like, oh, that's like this thing in the real world, right? Like yeah. my guy becomes bigger, he becomes the most powerful one, he's the king. Um, and we that's sort right. of build that fiction off. But then also from the other perspective, there's all this layer of theme or fiction and we can dig really, dig into a game and be like, yes, but also it's just numbers and yeah. possibility space too. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you think about what board game companies do, like how many different versions of Monopoly are there? Yeah. Right. How many different versions of chess are there? You know, you you know, Lego chess, Mario chess, Harry Potter chess, Star Wars chess. You can get you know, like you know, and all it is is just is trying to build story around a pattern, and it's the same pattern that chess masters and grandmasters are playing all around, you know, and have been for for decades, you know, centuries. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, he says that games are largely about getting people to see past variations and to look instead at the underlying patterns. And so because of this, gamers are very good at seeing past fiction. And and so and so when you look at it, like like for War Machine, um, going back to War Machine, that's why you can actually play War Machine on War Table during COVID. That's what a lot of War Machine players were doing. And they were just little little tokens with the name of the model. Yep. Right? Or I guess they had images maybe, but mm-hmm. um, but there was a there was an Etsy a creator who actually made uh, the last two armies, Grimkin and also Crucible War, printed those armies out on little discs so that you can play test them before the before the armies were actually released, hmm. and and it just had the model name on there. Yeah, and I thought it was a brilliant idea, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and so uh, and so seeing past the fiction all the way down to what is it that we're doing here, you mm-hmm. know. And, you know, I mean, gamers are really good at that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's always that, you know, you, you, you really could play a war game with just bases if you really wanted to, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, there's actually even, that makes me think of, this is a little bit of a tangent, but did you ever hear of Disc Wars, Warhammer Disc Wars? Yeah, actually, that that's, oh, yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, there was an old version and then Fantasy Flight like re-released a version at some point. And I, I remember buying the set, but I never actually got to play it. But it's basically a version of Warhammer, but with I mean the rules are a little different. Yeah. It's its own game, but you you know, the a model is just a disc, and there's like some you move the disc by flipping it over end over end, and that's how movement goes. So it's like the disc is its own mechanic. But anyway, it's just a, a thought yeah. of you can you can flatten that space because it is an abstract space. I had one more thought kind of about that that i feel like coster didn't mention this but i you know he talks about how um the games are like word problems they're abstract systems underlying a layer of theme that can be ignored but that's not true of role-playing games because you can't like a role-playing game is the fiction you can't ignore the fiction and still be still have functional play right like we can't all just ignore what each other are saying and pretend we're doing something else um Otherwise, you know, the game grinds to a halt and we're not actually progressing in the fiction. So anyway, just a, a small a small tangent, but that's he one was, of the things that makes role-playing games unique. Yeah, he was very favorable about a role-playing game because he made a comment about about that. He goes, in the right hands, you, you know, because uh, he was commenting how a lot of games are not written by writers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, sure. and he himself is a writer, so there's his bias. But he was said, in the right hands, a role-playing game can, you know... Um, you know, can it be as much of a creation um, or a creative opportunity as you know, as a, you know, as a as someone who actually wrote a story? You sure. Know? Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm stumbling over the words, but you know, I'm, you know, what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so are you ready to deal with the controversial part? Maybe. Let's do it. Yeah. So the controversial part centers around this idea about gamers being able to see through. The story or the dressing at the game and makes and then the and the simple argument that gamers make is it's just a game mm-hmm. and and so and so we have first person shooters and and we have terribly violent games mm-hmm. that people are playing and and grand theft auto where 
apparently you can do some pretty bad things to prostitutes in the game. Sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I've never played the game. So, and and he talks about what the game actually is in terms of you removed all of the dressing. What is the game? Well, this game teaches you to aim or whatever, or this game yeah. teaches you, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so the defense is not a good defense. It's just a game mm -hmm. because we have data that suggests that maybe it's not right. Um, but then if you come from the other side, the prosecution, if you will, mm -hmm. if you just attack the dressing, you kind mm -hmm. of miss the point of the game, right? You have to look at the game for both what it is and what it does and what it's dressed in and and that and that's a better way to talk about what the game actually is mm -hmm. because if you don't you you ignore part of it you aren't getting at the essence of it right sure yeah yeah like the you know the traditional whatever politician railing against video games sees the the gun and the murder exactly and then the gamer sees the the play and the you know the numbers and the the, the, the decisions that spark you know your your brain to learn and, and have fun and the two are kind of speaking different languages across one another but but those two things come together have you heard of it makes me think of um brenda brathwaite is a game designer she 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 kind of came up on the wizardry pc games which i had never played but um she also designed a series of tabletop games called the medium is the message and one of those games is called train so it's basically exploring the idea that the mechanics of the game are the message, which is kind of what we're talking about, right? That it's not just yeah. the mechanics are the theme, basically. Um, and it's just a train game where you're trying to get your, you know, we, we have various little people and we're trying to get them into the train and, and we have to get the most people into the train before the train gets to the end of the station, right? And then you play the game with a bunch of people and you come to the end and you realize, like, the train is going to Auschwitz. And like you're loading these people, oh. you know, so it's like it's kind of this gut punch. Oh. But the point is to get you to think of like a system. You're just you're just sort of neutrally engaging the system, right? But there's no such thing as neutrally engaging a system. Um, that I may, I may have have derailed us there a little bit, but but I was trying to just no, that's, that's together. Hard. Yeah, because what what because that goes all the way. I mean, that's what we're talking about. What do games teach us? Yeah. And, and you just said, and you just said, you just did that. You just did the, that's the, that's, that's the statement right there. You can't neutrally engage a system mm -hmm. because, because the game is teaching you something. Yeah. Right. Like whether you want to admit it or not, that's why it's just a game isn't a valid defense for any game. Right. Right. You know, how are you engaging in that game? And, and what are you gleaning from that experience is what we're talking about yeah yeah oh that would i would not feel well if i had played if i had played that if i played that game yeah because uh, yeah. i love trains i love themes the tra the theme of trains and mm -hmm. and you know i would have my strategic brain would have been firing all synapses and yeah you know, i would have got as many people on that train as possible and then and then if that were the i yeah I yeah would, i'd probably throw up afterwards yeah yeah i don't feel well now <laughs> yeah, yeah well i think it's something about you know our brains You're can engage out. we can engage in strategic pro i mean that's some of the power of games we can engage yeah. in these strategic and tactical problems and they're super engaging 
Um, but we can get myopic about it and, you know, and not look at what we're actually doing within that. Um, you know, I think that's, I mean, you could talk about loot boxes or games with kind of addiction mechanics in the same, in the same way. Right. Um, that's right. Engage you in ways you don't want to be engaged, but you're kind of, um, yeah, I don't yeah. know what I'm exactly saying there, but we'll leave, leave it with that. Yeah. He, he does a really great thing towards, uh, where he where he engages a conversation around fun, mm-hmm. and he and he distinguishes the difference between fun and delight. I thought that was very interesting. Oh, I thought that was amazing because it describes so much of how I feel about so many different things. Hmm. Yeah. What 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 do you think? What made it interesting? Well, I just I just hadn't I had never thought about that in those terms before. I hadn't. I mean, fun is a concept that you know, a concept as a concept that I hadn't really dug into. And I think that's what he does here is we say that so often in playing games, like, mm-hmm. is it fun? Am I having fun? This is fun, but it's such a nebulous concept. And he really digs down. I mean, he, he distinguishes fun from delight, like you said, and also from beauty. Um, you know, yeah. that's one of the things he's saying, like, ga- uh, fun isn't, de- like, games aren't delightful. Um, he talks about delight as uh, a surprise. Let's see. Delight strikes when we recognize patterns, but are surprised by them. Um, yes. It's the moment at the end of the Planet of the Apes when we see the Statue of Liberty. Spoiler alert, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's the thrill at the end of the mystery novel when everything falls into place. Um, You know, so, but he says the light is something that strikes and then kind of goes away, right? It's just, it's just a thing. And and fun isn't exactly that. No, he describes fun in that same paragraph as learning new patterns. Mm -hmm. So, so like, for example, if I go back to War Machine, delight is when I found the, the magic deployment strategy. And then fun is when my opponent does something that causes me to deviate my, mm-hmm. my plans. And now I have to identify a new pattern. Yeah. That's the, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. And I love that. And I just, I can apply to so many games because I delight in like, like, and it's like rewatching a movie, for example. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's fun to watch a movie for the first time, but you delight in the movie when you watch it a second time. Yeah, right? yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good. That's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, games that have that replayability, and you know, and and until you get to the point of mastery, and he has a whole other concept about mastery um, mm-hmm. that's worth exploring. But until you get to the point of mastery. Um, as you replay these games, you're either going to find delight or you're going to find fun or you'll find both, right? Yeah, yeah. Along the way. Or actually, I should we should concede, you'll find boredom. Sure, because, sure. That's a possibility. Yeah. We talked about that a, a fair amount in, our last, in the last episode. Yeah. So yeah. More about yeah. that. But I, I thought it was interesting, too. I mean, so he talks about fun as mentally mastering problems. And then he talks about um, exercising mastery. But that's different than fun. Not that you can't have fun doing that, but that's a different thing. And like, right. you know, we're talking about the war machine example. Like, I think, you know, the ideal in a player's mind is that I have this plan. I execute it flawlessly. I go to the tournament. I execute it flawlessly on everyone and I win every game. Right. Right. And that. Um, it's never happened to me before. It's, never ha- it's probably never happened to anyone. Or maybe it's happened, you know, people win tournaments, obviously. But have is, is every turn go exactly like they think like they think it goes right and if it did if you could just flawlessly execute every time like you would stop playing that game 
yeah. because you would no longer be mentally mastering a problem. It would have been mastered and it would be kind of beyond you and it wouldn't be fun unless you just enjoy, you know, making other people, I don't know, unless you're playing in a way to make people miserable and that's what you do. Right. That's not, that's beyond the scope of a game. Or you give yourself different challenges. Like for example, one of the challenges that you can give yourself that he mentions in the book is, is a time thing. Mm -hmm. So, so like, for example, you know, I've got solitaire on my computer in my office and, you know, and every once in a while I'll take a brain break, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll bust out solitaire. And the goal is to, is to beat it in less than a minute and 12 seconds. Cause that's, that, you know, that's my record. Okay. So I, cause I could beat it. Solitaire yeah. is easy, right? I got it yeah. on medium or hard mode and I'm pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so it's, it's not about winning now. It's about getting, beating the time. Yeah. And so you can, you can give yourself those kinds of challenges too. Sorry. Mm -hmm. That might be yeah. tangential, but yeah. No. I think that's right. I mean, I, I had that experience in a game of Warcry a few weeks ago. It was this, just the way the scenario shook out. It was like they, the opponent had to get one thing and he had a super fast monster and he got it and then like ran to the end of the board and I couldn't do anything. Right. So it was like, well, what am I going to do? We could just stop or I could say, okay, I want to see if this guy can get over and kill that guy. You know, and it's like, you know, it's beyond the real scope of the winning and losing of the game, but I created the goal for myself that kept me engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I don't, I, we didn't cover everything that I wrote down, but, um, but I think we covered a lot. Is it, you know, beyond recommending the book to every listener, <laughs> are there any closing thoughts or anything you want to add that you thought might, um, might add a good exclamation point to our conversation? Fully yeah. recognizing this is part two of a, of a three-parter. So, yeah, I yeah. thought, he gets at the end of the last chapter that we read about what games aren't, he gets to, I just like this, this quote. I feel like it wraps a lot of things together and, and mm -hmm. um, fun is about learning in a context where there's no pressure from consequence. And that is why games matter. Um, yes. Again, he doesn't tell you, you know, he doesn't beat you over the head with it. it. It's sort of, that's a sentence that you can stew on and think about and like come up with your own explanations for, but it's a good one. That is good. Can you read it one more time? Mm -hmm. Fun is about learning in a context where there is no pressure from consequence, and that is why games matter. Very good. Very, very good. So we're going to uh, come back to this at a future episode, and uh, we're going to continue the conversation. We have another layer to uh, to dig through, to explore, if I can use a word that we, that we were using today. Um, but let's uh let's wrap up this episode. Uh, let's get to confession time. Um, what purchases have you made recently that you're willing to confess on? Yeah. On well, airwaves. <laughs> I I will say I took the impossible pledge mm -hmm. that you threw down to us on a previous episode, and I think it was it was I listened to that just before the spring of this year. Um, okay like late winter. And I was like, okay, I'll, I will not buy any miniatures until June 21st, until the beginning of summer. I'll go an entire season, a little more than an entire season without buying any miniatures. And I did it. So I was very proud of myself. And then on, on that day, June 21st, I like went down to the store and bought a bunch of uh, Sylvaneth for, for um, Age of Sigmar. <laughs> right. I, on the calendar. I was like, I can buy minis on this day. I'm going to buy minis. Because <laughs> nice. I'm kind of, you know, I can build a Sylvaneth Warband for Warcry and I'm kind of exploring Age of Sigmar again. And um, so I'm going to gonna paint up some models and, and start doing that. Um, 
Nice. I also, I guess during the, the period of the Impossible Pledge, I backed Riven, the Rivenstone Kickstarter, although I had given that myself as an out before I took the pledge. I was like, I'm going to back this. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's a game that is coming out in the near future that I'm pretty excited about seeing what happens with that. So I backed that Kickstarter. Cool. Um, yeah, but that's that's about it. What about you? Yeah, so I my Impossible Pledge was tied to the Imperium Magazine subscription that I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And so technically it is still going. Um, but and the out that I gave myself early on was um, I split the uh, a Kings of War two-player starter box that had Halflings on one side and Riftforge Orcs on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I split that with Wes. And so, um, but I already talked about that in an early episode. So that was my only out. Sure. Which means that I recently broke the impossible pledge. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, I too was looking at my Age of Sigmar stuff and and realizing that I I didn't have quite two hundred point or two thousand points of my clan essence, and so yeah. I needed I needed to buy another Deathmaster and then another uh, unit of Gutter Runners. And so I didn't need to. I chose to buy the Gunner Runners because um, they were pretty inexpensive. And so, um, so actually, they were both pretty inexpensive. So it was fine. But um, and uh, and then Ian talked me into some storm fiends. So, <laughs> so it is official. I probably I probably now have maybe twenty five hundred points of rats once I get them all built and painted. And so, um, so I, I broke my impossible pledge, unfortunately, but yeah, that's probably why we call it impossible. Yeah. The point is to try, it's, you know, <laughs> progress, not perfection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I also want to do a shout out to a couple of listeners. Um, Cole, uh, one of our listeners, um, who had listened to me interview, uh, the sales rep from War Games Atlantic had sent me some kits from War Games Atlantic, and like some really cool kits. So he sent me um, one from their Iron Core line, one from their Deathfields line, which are both um, sci-fi models, and um, and then he sent me a box of the classic fantasy uh, Lizardmen. So now I have some Lizardmen to do something fun with. Nice. And then, and then two his three historical boxes, one uh, French infantry from the Great War, uh, conquistadors from the Renaissance period, and then uh, some late Roman legionnaires, and and so I'm I'm pretty excited about that. These are um, these are uh, 28 mil uh, models, and they're plastic kits, and they and they come with so many options on the sprue. Like, like you always have leftover bits on the sprue and uh, when, when you build them and, and they're, and they're really, uh, they're really inexpensive. And I want to do a shout out to, uh, to war games Atlantic again, uh, because, uh, because earlier, like two weeks ago, they did an announcement about their price hikes or the price changes. Mm-hmm. They, they did a, they, they basically did a, like a blog post, you know, how like private your press or will do theirs or like games workshop will do theirs on community um mm-hmm. page. it was something like that and they and they broke down um the cost increase uh, that it was going to be for every for their units 
and and they determined that it was going to be like a 12 cent increase and then so they were like and so we are and they did it very like tongue-in-cheek but they were like very benevolent they were like and we are not going to pass that cost down to our consumer and and therefore our prices are going to stay the same but you know <laughs> like i really i really like them as a company you know that's hilarious they, like, they, 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 the, <laughs> they do all the right things but but their kits are amazing i've been watching some unboxing videos of some other kits that i don't have and and i'm just i'm so impressed uh, by this company and and they don't they don't have full lines of everything but if you're already playing a game and especially minis agnostics games mm -hmm. and or you're doing like a skirmish or whatever and you want a really inexpensive kit check out war games atlantic and just go just start, start looking through their lines and, and you can just in, incorporate them into what you're already doing um word on the street is that they might have their own game in the future i think it's going to be related to their iron core line but um, that has not been confirmed that I can tell for sure. I've only seen rumors of it. So I'll take, I've looked at their stuff before, but just kind of, you know, just kind of one of those, oh, I'm going to browse this a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, so I'll look at them again. Yeah. Can you yeah. use those? For, can you use some of their, do they have like saga, um, historical stuff that works for Saga? Yes, they do. Okay. They have, um, uh, is it Welsh or is it Anglo-Danes, Anglo-Saxons, Anglo-Saxons. Mm -hmm. You can get a, you get a full Anglo Dane or Anglo Saxon army out of what they have. Because that's a yeah. game I've looked at here and there, but I never really know where to look for miniatures. So I always just end up looking at the official ones, and that's all I ever look at. So yeah, I'll take well, a look. That's a mini Zagnostics game, technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and another place, um, Foot Sore is another place. That's an American company that that does models for for Saga, and okay. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of places you can get models for that so okay um, but the cheapest way would be war games atlantic you can get a probably a full army at it you know two okay. or three kids, so. let's take a look i am getting older so you know the historical sort of thing starts to creep in yeah yeah and actually we're going to talk about that after offline because i have an okay. idea for future episodes um okay. the other the other listener i want to give a shout out to is curtis who um who called on me uh, a couple weeks ago he was just like hey i haven't seen you in a while and being your neck of the woods and i want to drop something off and so he dropped off um a, uh, like a, a bag of bits from mind taker and and it was awesome just just for fun like i didn't ask for it or nothing he just said here and um and then we just talked out on the porch for a long time and it was just really good to you know you know that human connection and yeah, you know, and, you know things have been things have been hard for me personally, and so it was nice to have another human to talk to about it. That, you know, so Absolutely. it was just it was very kind. So, so shout out to Cole, shout out to Curtis, shout out to Mind Taker Minis, always all the things. So, yeah. um, what about uh, your hobby desk? What are you building? What are you painting? I have been um, so one of the things that Warcry has is called uh, oh the Chaotic Beasts. So one of the twists when you play the game, you can flip a card and these basically random monsters come on the battlefield and can fight either side. And Games Workshop has models for these, but I like wasn't super stoked about them. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to spend 60 bucks on models I'm not super excited about. So I was kind of digging yeah. through my bin. And I have some, uh, I had a Hellmouth from Privateer Press, which is like the model with, uh, you know, it's got tentacles coming up from the ground and stuff. And I had a couple old Death Rippers 
Uh, and so I bought a couple more Death Rippers from um, Death Rippers are the, the, the Cricks, little Cricks Bone Jacks. Bought a couple more Death Rippers from Mind Taker. Shout out again. I got my little packet of M&Ms that they always send, which is excellent. Lovely. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I just thought that would be fun. I'm like, these look like chaotic beasts. Yeah, there's a little bone metal construction and then, you know, um, tentacles ripping up from the ground. So I'm painting, I'm painting those up. I'm having a really good time. I'm gonna do some, right. I have some crackle paint that I've wanted to use for a really long time. I'm gonna use that on the bone jack armor. So it's, you know, looks like old armor that's been soaking in the ocean and, and cracking. So we'll see how that turns out. But um, been having a fun time painting those up. What about you? Um, I uh, am going to have some rats that I'm going to need to build and paint, um, and in order to get to me get my to two thousand. But um, but there's another thing. Uh, the Warhammer store gave me uh, Ian over there gave me a random miniature, which was a Skaven clan rat, and inside is a, a piece of paper randomly uh, selecting a, a GW. Uh, paint color and mm -hmm. so the color that was randomly assigned to me was the contrast line of the brand new one that just got released on saturday uh Karandras green and so the the challenge the paint challenge for this month for the store is to paint the random model featuring the random color that was assigned to you and so i don't exactly know what i'm going to do with the with the rat but in this color, but I'm going to, uh, but that's going to be on my hobby desk as well. And I'm probably going to paint that first just to get it, um, get it to the store and put it in their display case quicker. So, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's super fun. It's a cool little uh, event. Yeah. And then, and then those gutter runners that I got and it are metal. And, and so I get to play with metal again. Nice. So, yeah. But, cool. Well, uh, um, thank you for, um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for being here with me, and thank you for recording another episode. I'm excited to get get more of these out there. I'm really excited for our, our future conversations as well. Uh, for our listeners, I just want to invite you to join us on the Discord server. Uh, we have um, active conversation there, um, but more importantly, one of the things that we do as well is the book club. And so every month we select a book. And we, and we read it, and then the last Sunday of the month, that afternoon, we get together and, and we talk about the book. And this month, the book is Forever War by Joe Haldeman. And so um, I haven't started quite yet. I got it on Audible, and I'm, I'm finishing the trilogy, the first three books of the Horus Heresy series. Oh. I'm, I'm sub two hours left on it, and so as soon as I'm done listening to Galaxy in Flames, I'm going to go right on to forever war so how about you are you are you reading in the book this month yeah i have i've um i read the forever war a couple of years ago so i'm gonna like maybe listen to it on audiobook or nice. I haven't started it yet but i'm gonna reread it somehow yeah and it's since we did a few months ago we did uh starship troopers yes and the forever war is an excellent follow-up to starship troopers because it yeah. deals with some of the same ideas but in a very different way so yeah yeah, yeah. i'm excited about it so well uh thanks Hans for being here. Thank you for uh, listeners for, for being here. And uh, if you like what we do, go ahead and tell your friends. And that's the best way to uh, to get us out there is, is word of mouth. And, uh, and like I said, join us on Discord if you want. I'll have all the links in the show notes. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care.
Bing 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 b